0: Good evening, everybody. Turn in your Bibles to the book of Leviticus, chapter 10. We're going to finish out the chapter, verses 8 to 20. I'd ask you to stand with me. We'll pray. We'll read God's Word. Let me turn to it. Let's pray. Father, we just ask that you you would speak to us, Lord God. Everything that was written, your word tells us, that was written in the past was written for our encouragement so that through the endurance of the scriptures, we would have hope. Lord, we live in a world that is so desperately in need of hope. The hope of a Savior who, as we sang, humbly came to the earth that he created and for love's sake became poor who died so that we might live. Of A God who loves us and gave His Son as a propitiation for our sins so that we could have life and life everlasting. What a great God you are. And so, Lord, make these scriptures alive to us. Alive to us, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Leviticus chapter 10, beginning in verse 8, all the way to verse 20. And the Lord spoke to Aaron, saying, Drink no wine or strong drink, you or your sons, with you, when you go into the tent of meeting, lest you die. It shall be a statute forever throughout your generations. You are to distinguish between the holy and the common, and between the unclean and the clean. And you are to teach the people of Israel all the statutes that the Lord has spoken to them by Moses. Moses spoke to Aaron, and to Eleazar and Ithamar, his surviving sons. Take the grain offering that is left of the Lord's food offerings, and eat it unleavened beside the altar, for it is it is most holy. You shall eat it in the holy place, because it is your due and your son's due from the Lord's food offering, for so I, for so I am commanded. But the breast that is weighed and the thigh that is contributed, you shall eat in a clean place, you and your sons and your daughters with you, for they are given as your due and your sons' due from the sacrifices of the peace offerings of the people of Israel, the thigh that is contributed and the breast that is waved, they shall bring with the food offering, of the fat pieces to wave for a wave offering before the Lord, and it shall be an offering before the Lord, and it shall be yours and your sons with you as a due forever, as the Lord has commanded. Now Moses diligently inquired of the goat of the sin offering, and behold, it was burned up. And he was angry with Eleazar and Ithamar, the surviving sons of Aaron, saying, Why have you not eaten the sin offering in the place of the sanctuary, since it is a thing most holy and has been given to you, that you may bear the iniquity of the congregation to make atonement for them before the Lord? Behold, its blood was not brought into the inner part of the sanctuary. You certainly ought to have eaten it in the sanctuary as I commanded. And Aaron said to Moses, Behold, Today they have offered their sin offerings and their burnt offerings before the Lord, and yet such things of these have happened to me. If I had eaten the sin offering today, would the Lord have approved? And when Moses heard that, he approved. It's the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Well, as you remember, last week we saw Nadab and Abihu, they had offered strange fire, strange fire to the Lord unauthorized fire to the Lord. We don't know exactly what they did wrong. We know they had their sensors or their fire pans in their hand, which would indicate that they were going to do the grain offering. Um, that was part of it. Uh, we don't know exactly what they did and we're told not to inquire. We may have some ideas in our text for tonight, but Aaron's two sons, Nadab and Abihu, died before the Lord and now Um, God had given the instructions about not to mourn. Let the children of Israel outside the camp mourn. And now God, in this section, gives commands to Aaron and rules about offerings. Those will be our headings. Commands given to Aaron and rules about offerings. The commands that are given to Aaron. Look what it says in verse 8. And the Lord spoke to Aaron, saying, This is the only time in the book of Leviticus that God directly speaks to Aaron. Every other time we read the words, the Lord spoke or the Lord said, he was addressing Moses. This is the only time that we know that God spoke to Aaron directly. I wonder what that was like for Aaron. right? His whole life, God spoke through his brother. And as the high priest, for the first time, God gives him a direct commands, directly speaks to him. And as he speaks to him, God gives Aaron three directives, three commands, if you would, about how the priestly duties are to be performed. They are commands that had not previously been given. They are commands that are to help Aaron and his sons, I believe, to not make the error of Nadab and Abihu. And these commands that God gives to Aaron and to his sons, his remaining son, I believe we see the kindness of God, the goodness of God, to help keep them from committing a sin, committing or giving unauthorized fire, or worshiping in a way that they decide to as opposed to the commands of God. And so what is the first command that God gives? No drinking on the job. <laughs> No drinking on the job. Now, in our day and age, that goes without saying. Maybe. I don't know. Maybe I'm speaking, but no drinking on the job. Look at what it says in verse 9. Drink no wine or strong drink. You or your sons with you. When you go into the tent of meeting, lest you die, it shall be a statute forever throughout all your generations. There is no absolute ban on drinking in the scriptures. We're free to, if you want to, to have a drink. But God gave this command to Aaron and his sons to keep while they were serving in their priestly roles. It also implies, by the way, just so we're clear, that, hey, you know, you know shuck a couple down, you know, chug a couple down before you come to work, it's okay. It's implied that you are not to come to work in a way in any way in which your mind is altered, in which you are unable to think clearly. God said to them, you are not to imbibe while you are on duty, lest you become careless in performing your duties. And the fact is that alcohol does impair one's ability to think and act rationally. Unfortunately, I know that from personal experience. I know it from watching others. It's a medical fact. We know it to be true. God and his love for Aaron and his sons and also the children of Israel of whom they were mediators. We need to remember this is not just out of love for Aaron and his sons but also for the children of Israel because what if the entire priesthood got wiped out? What was left for the children of Israel? Who was going to be their mediator? Moses was already told, Moses, you know what? You're not going into promised land. You're not. You're going to leave. It was love for the entire community that God gives this command. It does lead to the question, perhaps, was this what happened with Nadab and Abihu? We don't know. We do know that God now directly commands Aaron. Directly speaks to Aaron and says, you are not to drink wine or strong drink, While you are in the tent of meeting. The command is very clear. Don't do it. There's nothing ambiguous about what God was saying. There's no way Aaron could say, well, I mean, I can maybe skirt it around this way. No, just do not do it. It's a blatant do not do it. And God is very serious about this command. Notice God's seriousness that he attaches to command. Look again at verse 9. Drink no wine or strong drink. You or your sons with you, when you go into the tent of meeting. Lest you die. That's serious. Wait, you kidding me? You're going to kill me if I if I have a, a drink of wine? But Why? You're going to kill me? Well, that's exactly what God is saying. I like think what God is really saying is that listen, if you go in there and your mind is altered, you're not fully focus on the task of being the mediator of which I called you to, between God and the children of Israel, you may go the way of Nadab and Abihu. You just saw what happened to them. I will do it again. I will be... What, what was the command that Moses uh, told Aaron? This is what the Lord meant when he said, those, to those who draw near to me, I will be treated as holy. God in his kindness was telling Aaron, make sure you hold this command. It is to be a statute, what? Forever, throughout all generations. It's not to be deviated from. You know, the same wisdom applies for us today as leaders and as lay people. It's very wise to be careful about alcohol. My personal choices I avoided altogether. That's just my personal conviction. Doesn't make me more holy or better than anybody else. It's just how I choose to want to honor God. Quite frankly, I've also had enough in my life that it never did anything good for me anyway. So it's, to me, it was a... But it's also one of the qualifications of an elder or deacon within the church is that they are not controlled by alcohol. They're not controlled by by really anything that would impair their ability in 1 Timothy 3.3, 3, in the qualifications for an elder. Not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. But God points that there, not to be a drunkard. For deacons, it says this, deacons likewise must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. And if you're sitting there going, well, good for elders and deacons. If you're an older man or woman, the same thing applies to you, the scripture says. Look what he says in Titus 2, beginning at verse 2. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers, or slave to too much wine they are to teach what is good all Christians all of us who call ourselves by the name of Christ scripture tells us we are not to be controlled by alcohol or anything else that can cloud the mind Ephesians 5:18 and do not get drunk with wine for that is debauchery but be filled with the Spirit. So the first directive, the first command that God gives to Aaron is make sure your mind is clear. And this is how you are to do it. You are not to drink wine or strong drink while you are on duty. Even again, it goes back to you're getting ready to come on to work. Don't just pound down a few and go to work because I'm not in a tent of meeting and try to skirt it. Make sure you come to work and your mind is clear. You understand exactly what you're doing. The second command that he says is you are to make accurate distinctions. Accurate distinctions. Verse 10, you are to distinguish between the holy and the common and between the unclean and the clean. And this command, of course, is related to the first one. The priests had many sacrificial duties, but they were also the ones who were to decide... What was clean or unclean? Later on in the book, we'll see. If a person had an issue on their skin, they had to go to the priest to get it determined. Are we clean now? Are we unclean? If If his mind is not there, suppose mold started growing in your house. You had to go to the priest. He would come and he would look at your house. He would tell you to do X, Y, or Z. Did it. He would come back. He would determine. He had to determine whether the sacrifice you were bringing, is it clean or is it unclean? There were common utensils. There were holy utensils. You don't want to use the wrong one in the temple. There was holy food. There was common food. The priests were always in the business of making distinctions as part of their duties before the Lord. Their minds were not to be impaired so they could accurately distinguish between holy and common, clean and unclean as God is defined. What about us? Do I even consider, do you or I even consider making distinctions in what we talk about, where, watch, listen to? God says we should. Do we ever stop to consider whether something, although it may be allowable, Is it actually beneficial? What does Paul write to the church in Corinth say in 1 Corinthians 6.12? All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. Or later on in chapter 10 of the same book, he says, All things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. Do we make the distinctions between what is good and what is better? Paul, writing to Timothy, writes this in 1 Timothy 4, 4 to 5. Everything created created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving, for it is made holy by the word of God and prayer. So that means, hey, I can do anything I want, Because God made it, and therefore I receive it with thanksgiving. I prayed about it, and I don't see God's word says you can't do it. Therefore, it's free to go. I can do whatever I want. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, as Paul said earlier, hey, it's allowable, but is it beneficial? Is it beneficial? Will it really be helpful? We need to make those distinctions, particularly with alcohol, when we're around brothers and sisters or other people. Like if you know somebody had a history and a struggle with alcohol, suppose, you know, you can become a, a, a Christian parent for the ladies at the Hoving home. You can, they, get their, they get time off, they can come to your house and spend time with you. Would any of you think it would be a wise thing? And they'll know that you say, hey, you know what? Hey, you know what? I got the bottle of Pinot Rouge or whatever. Hey, come on, let's bust it out. You know, let's celebrate you're here. It would be foolish. Is it allowable? Yes, but it would be foolish to do it. It would be totally saying to them, I don't really care about your your past, your anything, your struggles. That's just one of many examples. We need to apply it more to what we watch, wear, and think, and talk about. He says, make accurate distinctions. They were making distinctions on behalf of the people of Israel. The third directive that God gives to Aaron, it says, you are to be Israel's teacher. What it says in verse 11, and you are to teach the people of Israel all the statutes that the Lord has spoken to them by Moses. You know, there's an interesting transition going on here about who was going to be leading the teaching of the commands of God. It is now transferred to Aaron. Aaron is to teach all the statues that the Lord spoke to them by Moses. This also goes with the command to not let anything inhibit the ability to think clearly. As the teachers of Israel, the priests were to accurately teach all that God commanded Moses. They were not to deviate from the commands of the Lord at all. If they were not to deviate from the the blueprint that God gave about the tabernacle and the furniture in the tabernacle, how much more were they not to deviate from the teachings of the Lord? It was from the commands of Moses that they were to teach the children of Israel the difference between clean and unclean, between holy and common. People's lives were at stake, literally. They had to have a clear mind so they could accurately teach the law of God, and that's a principle throughout God's Word. The clear, distinct teaching of God's Word. Remember the children of Israel. They went after other gods. God warned them, if you do this, I'm going to remove you from the land. Israel in the north got taken away by the Assyrians. Judah in the south. Here comes Nebuchadnezzar. Actually, the Bible says, my instrument, Nebuchadnezzar. Right? Comes in and he takes out the children of Israel, leaves just the, the worst of the worst, the poor. And the, the, it just listen, he just left He took all the good stuff and left all the bad, just to put, you know, I'm not trying to be mean, but that's exactly what the Bible says he did. Killed tens of thousands of hundreds of thousands in the process. Seventy years go by. The time allotted by God to be out of the land of Israel, seven years, they go back, Ezra goes back and begins to build the temple. Nehemiah, we know the story, we've been over the book. And it says that when it came now to reestablishing the priesthood, and that was a process for Nehemiah. It wasn't just let anybody go in. You had to prove you were of the priestly line. And some people were told, no, you're not coming in. Others were. But when they got to the point where this was all established, they gathered everybody in the, in, in, in the temple complex, and they began to teach him the word of God. And this is what it says. And this is the principle that we use here at Bible Baptist Church. Nehemiah 8.8, they read from the book from the law of God clearly and they gave the sense so that the people understood the reading. Clearly and they gave the sense so that the people understood the reading. The New Testament, pastors and teachers are given the same charge. We are to accurately teach the Word of God. That's why we care about what the Greek and the Hebrew says. Let God use His words, not my own ideas or thoughts about what God wants or what God may be saying. Let God speak. We really mean it when we say, speak, O Lord. We really mean it. We want to know what God has to say. We are. 2 Timothy 2.15 We are to do our best to present ourselves to God as one approved, the worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. You know, all of us as believers need to rightly handle the word of truth. We need to clearly be able to defend our faith, defend our beliefs, and defend it from Scripture, not from reason, from Scripture. Can you clearly share the gospel? Can you accurately explain the basic doctrines of the Christian faith? God says we should be able to. 1 Peter 3.15 says this, But in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. We know that so serious is the job of teaching God's word that stricter judgment comes with it. James 3, 1. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. It's God's word. Jesus is the word of God. And so the Lord gave Aaron three distinct directives. No drinking, no drinking on the job, Accurate distinctions accurately teach the children of Israel. He then gives them rules about offerings. Rules about offerings. First is the grain offering. Moses spoke to Aaron and to Eleazar and Ithamar, his surviving sons. This is God. This is Moses is now giving these directives, not God. Take the grain offering that is left of the Lord's food offerings and eat it unleavened beside the altar, for it is most holy. Well, let's just stop there for a second. Why did it say, take what is left? It's probably a clear indication that it was this grain offering of which Nadab and Abihu did commit unauthorized fire. He says, you shall eat it in the holy place, because it is your due and your son's due. From the Lord's food offering, for so I am commanding you. So Moses tells them, listen, this is the way I would, this is the way I see it. Alright, listen. This happened. Everybody saw it. We know what happened. You're not the mourn. You have your job to do. Get to your job. One of the things you're supposed to do, part of your job, is you're supposed to eat the grain offering, and you're supposed to eat it in a holy place. Make sure you do it. Remember the law of the grain offering. In Leviticus chapter 6, it says this, and this is the law of the grain offering. The sons of Aaron shall offer it before the Lord in front of the altar. What's the altar? It's the altar of incense, which was in front of the veil, and behind the veil was the Ark of the Covenant. It says that they were to take grain, the grain that was offered, they were to beat it very fine, very fine. They were to beat it down, grind it down, to powder, mix frankincense and the oil in it, the special oil that is only to be used for that, and they were to offer it to the Lord. It represented the prayers of the saints. That's what he's telling them. This is what the law says to do. And one shall take from it a handful of fine flour of the grain offering and its oils and all the frankincense that is on the grain offering and burn, that, burn this as its memorial portion on the altar a pleasing aroma to the Lord and the rest of it, however much it is. Aaron and his sons shall eat it. It shall be eaten unleavened in a holy place in the court of the tent of meeting. They shall eat it. Now, if we think that it's just four guys, Aaron, or three guys at this point, Aaron and his two sons, there were a whole host of other priests. They had jobs of tearing down a tabernacle, putting up the tabernacle, and not a single priest was ever given was ever given a salary. They were provided for by the Lord's food, them and their family. So this is important. This is how they ate. It says, It is not to be baked with leaven. I have given it as their portion of my food offerings. This is God speaking. It is a thing most holy, like the sin offering and the guilt offering, Every male among the children of Aaron may eat it as a decree forever throughout your generations from the Lord's food offering. Whoever touches them shall become holy. So they were to perform. Moses says, perform what you're supposed to do. Now is not the time to be slack. But then Moses addresses the peace offering. What it says in verses 14 and 15. But the breast that is waved, and the thigh that is contributed, you shall eat in a clean place, you and your sons and your daughters with you. For they were given as your due and your sons' due from the sacrifices of the peace offerings of the people of Israel. The thigh that is contributed and the breast that is waved, they shall bring with the food offerings of the fat pieces to wave for a wave offering before the Lord, and it shall be yours and your sons with you. It is a do forever as the Lord has commanded you. Remember way back when John was doing all of these. Seven things were listed about the, the sacrifices, and one was that it, you know, it could be eaten, in some by the priests, Somebody the priest's family. And sometimes with the one who actually offered the sacrifice, they get a portion too. He's talking here specifically about those, the priests, their sons and their daughters were to eat it, where were they to eat it? In a clean place. The daughters were not to, not to come into the temple complex. They were not to be where they should not be. Any person who was not of the priesthood was not to be in there. So it is to be eaten in a clean place by the priest's family. Moses reminded him, said, Moses, Aaron, just don't get off track here. Do what you're supposed to do. Then he says the sin offering. says, now Moses, verse 16, now Moses diligently, diligently, He really wanted to know. Now Moses diligently inquired about the goat of the sin offering, and behold, it was burned up. And he was angry with Eleazar and Ithamar, the surviving sons of Aaron. Why was he not mad at Aaron? Aaron's the guy in charge of the whole thing. Saying, why have you not eaten the sin offering in the place of the sanctuary, since it is a thing most holy? And you have been and has been given to you that you may bear the iniquity of the congregation to make atonement before them before the Lord. Behold, its blood was not brought into the inner part of the sanctuary. You certainly ought to have eaten it in the sanctuary as I have commanded. So what's going on here? The sin offering. Which may have been part of what, uh, again, uh, uh, Nadab and Abihu, part of that was bringing the, the incense in. The whole thing was left on the altar, and it was burned up. There was a portion that they were to eat. These guys ate really well, but you ever noticed these priests ate well, right? They didn't eat it. Moses is angry. Why have you not eaten the sin offering in the place of the sanctuary? It is a most holy thing. And it's been given to you that you may bear the iniquity of the congregation. Notice the weight of which Moses puts on us, which God puts on it. The priests were to bear the iniquity of the congregation the first time that we hear this. Did they bear the children of Israel on their shoulders? Yes. At least the high priest did. Did he bear them over their heart? Yes, the high priest did. The sin offering was nothing that they had the liberty to deviate from, and yet here we, they did. He says even the blood was not brought into the inner part, and it wasn't given, uh, sprinkled before the veil. It wasn't placed on the altar of incense. You didn't do any of this stuff. You should have done what I commanded. Moses obviously is concerned. They just saw what happened when somebody did deviate from what God said to do. God instantly killed them. I'm sure that was Moses' concern. But look what happens. Aaron, Aaron steps in. Verse 19. And Aaron said to Moses, Behold, today they have offered their sin offering and their burnt offering before the Lord. And yet such things as these have happened to me. If I had eaten the sin offering today, would the Lord have approved? Isn't it interesting? What's going going on here? I think uh, Kenneth Matthews, I like the way he says it in his commentary. He says this, Aaron recognized that the special circumstances of the day's offering by which his older sons had offered unauthorized fire compromised the sin offering. Therefore, he reasoned that it would be unfitting for them to enjoy the meat as a benefit. Leviticus 6.30 would tell us that. What is significant here is that although the the detail of the law was altered, Aaron's decision reflected the purpose of the law and received divine approval that Moses approved signal that it was that the Lord had approved the decision this is the only occasion when Moses receives instructions from Aaron but something else very important happens here it says this signal to the congregation that Aaron and his sons had a special authority when ruling on ritual matters unlike his older two sons Eleazar and Ithamar carried out their commission properly and in accord with the discernment of Aaron. We understand what he's saying there. How can we enjoy the sin offering? It was in the process of our, my two sons offering that they, they lost their lives. God understood that verse 20 says and when Moses heard that he approved Philip Everson says that this in his commentary he says a blatant violation of the law to gratify or promote human self-centeredness receives the punishment it deserves when however there are good reasons preventing the law being carried out to the letter deviations are graciously accepted that's exactly what happened god was merciful can you imagine if it was the sin offering? This is the thing my brothers got killed over, and here I am chowing down on it. Right? You can understand. I wouldn't. Who many of us would say, "Hey, let's dig in"? Nobody. Nobody. Nobody who had any kind of soul would say, "Hey, let's dig in." It doesn't tell you how gracious God is. You know, we no longer have the sacrificial laws of the Old Testament. Because Christ, our Passover Lamb, has been sacrificed for us, thanks be to God. But we are a kingdom of priests. We are to always strive to discern what is profitable or unprofitable. Let's always seek to live a life pleasing to God. We're not perfect in it. God gives us mercy. And when we see someone else mess up, And they come to their senses, are we not to be merciful back? God has been merciful to us. We should be merciful to others. The bottom line of what is going on here is that God is telling them to pay careful attention to the ministry that you've been given. Do not deviate from it. Do nothing that's going to inhibit your mind in thinking clearly. I think for us, as we learned in the book of 1 John, that we must seek to walk as Jesus walked. We must seek to be obedient. Seek to want to make God happy. To do what God says. And how do we do that? We keep our mind clear. We make distinctions, and we make sure we know exactly what God tells us to do. We are not free to make up our own ideas or rules or regulations about God. He alone is. That's the lessons that I saw here. That's how God's, to quote Mr. John, that's how God spoke to me in this passage. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your graciousness. Thank you also for your seriousness. You took sin real serious, so much so that you gave your Son for it for us. May we also, Lord, have that same seriousness so that we live a life that is pleasing to you. As we strive, help us, Lord, we fall short. Let us never take your kindness and your goodness as an approval to continue in a way that is not honoring to you. Let us strive always for holiness and for peace, without which no one will see the Lord. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's stand. Let's close on a song. Wait. He's coming back. He changed up songs. Right. He's coming back.
1: I figured due to the sermon, there's probably be a better end there, speak O Lord. <laughs> O Lord, and renew our minds, help us grasp the heights of your plans for us. faith will walk as you walk with us. Speak, O Lord, till your church is built and the earth is filled with your glory.